There we go. Okay, now we're recording. Okay, great. Okay, we are beginning on page 100, where we're, the topic of tonight's discussion, we're going to begin discussing how one is able to make a bracha, how one can make a blessing, and for help somebody else fulfill their obligation at the same time, which is going to require much technical terminology, which we'll try to introduce prior to that. If anybody's struggling with any of that technical terminology, please feel free to speak up and say so, okay? So if you have the book, we are on page 100, page 100. So here we go. The introduction to this is as follows. The subject of this chapter is complex because we address how under what circumstances one may recite a bracha so that another person who has who has merely listened to its recitation may fulfill his or her obligation by listening into us. So to facilitate this discussion, it will be helpful to use the halachic language to, to describe the process. And let's see what that is. So the person reciting a bracha is called the mavarech. That is, in, in Hebrew, that is the, 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 ver, the verb for a bracha is a, is a, is a noun, it's a blessing. A mavarech is a person making the blessing, the mavarech. The act of reciting a bracha so that another fulfills his obligation is called lahotzi yedei chovaso. That's a little, that's a little bit of a mouthful. That means I am going to, I am going to make it possible for you to fulfill your obligation. I am helping you to fulfill your obligation. And that's called the motzi. I am the fulfiller, so to speak, the one who, who helps you to fulfill your obligation. So that is the term that we use, lahotzi, to me, or, or to be motzi, to help somebody else to fulfill their obligation. The person who is listening, or who is called the shomea, we'll, we'll avoid that term, whose obligation is to fulfill their obligation, which is to be yotze chodidei chavaso, to fulfill his obligation. Which is which means to be yotze. So basically, let's let's review just for a moment. I know we've just introduced a bunch of terms, but let's the, the two most important terms are the motzi, the person who is pro, proactively helping somebody else fulfill their obligation, and the one who is yotze. Yotze means they they have fulfilled their obligation. Motzi is the. I'm trying to think of a a good. Um, way to remember that the motzi is like the mover, the one who moves you forward, the one with the mem, with the m sound, is the one who fulfills the other person's obligation, the one who is obligation is fulfilled um, is the one who is yotze, they have fulfilled their obligation um, by my uh, saying this bracha so that reflects the listener or the shomea, I'm trying to think of a good way to you, or something with a y that will help, if somebody has a good idea for us to some sort of a some sort of a, a mnemonic to remember that that would be helpful. But um, a mnemonic with a Y to remember that that's the person who is who is passively fulfilling their obligation by being attentive to somebody else's bracha. Um, I'm not sure. Okay, we'll have to we'll see if we can come up with something. So the motzi is the one who moves the other one forward, and the one who is yotze is the one who fulfills their obligation. Now, the 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 laws governing whether or not I could be motzi, whether I could move you forward, differ depending on which bracha or what type of bracha is actually being recited at the time. So the first and most common type of mitzvah, which or type bracha, excuse me, that is, that we use to help others fulfill their obligation, is a bracha which go, uh, is called a birkas ha mitzvah. 
a bracha where we're doing, where I'm doing a mitzvah or we're both doing a mitzvah and I want to help you to fulfill your obligation to make a bracha on the mitzvah that you're doing. For instance, Kiddush, listening to the Megillah, listening to the Shofar, right? All those are cases where one person we are familiar with, where one person makes the bracha, everybody else listens and says, Amen, we'll talk about exactly what, what it entails, but assuming in the, in the, um, the usual case is that everybody listens and sends, answers, Amen, answers, answers, Amen to that bracha, and then they're yotzing. Now, the reason, the rationale why that works, the rationale behind that, why that works is as follows. We have a principle in Yiddishkeit that's called Kol, kol Yisrael Arevim Zelazeh, where literally what that means is all Jews are responsible for one another. We all take responsibility one for the other. Um, it's based on, so it's actually a Torah law. It's based on, on an idea that when Moshe Rabbeinu reviewed the Torah right before they went into Eretz Yisrael, he made it that each and every person is fully responsible for everybody else, regardless of whether it's intentional, not intentional, whether I want to, or I don't want to, or I care about you, I like you, I don't like you, we're going to assume, of course, all you didn't love one another, and we all care about one another, right? But regardless, we're all responsible for one another. So any mitzvah that you have to do, I have a mitzvah to make sure that you do that mitzvah. The same by the same. So therefore, your fulfillment of the mitzvah is an extension of my own mitzvah. And therefore, when I make a bracha on a mitzvah, that you also need to hear a bracha for. That's part of my mitzvah is that you should hear that you should have a bracha on that mitzvah. We're we're all included in it together. That that covers the ideas for birkos ha mitzvahs for brachas on any type of mitzvah. So brachas which are recited when performing a mitzvah, such as shofar, tefillin, kiddush, right, bring bring their own special set of rules, and the that's based on the interdependence of all Jews. That is so strong that when a mitzvah remains unfulfilled, all Jews bear significant responsibility for the void. We're all responsible for one another. A beautiful way to remember this is like this. I spoke about this recently. Um, maybe it was a Chevrolet, and there's an there's a concept that says that there are six hundred thousand letters in the Torah. I have, whatever you, if somebody wants to question me on that and uh, the technicalities of that, we could discuss that later. Exactly how you get to six hundred thousand. There's six hundred thousand letters in the Torah every year. There are six hundred thousand Jews at Matan Torah, six hundred thousand units that make up the Jewish people. So the letters of the Torah correspond to the letters of to to the number of Jewish people. Just like if one little letter, one one spot of ink is missing from one of those letters in the Sefer Torah, it makes the entire Sefer Torah puzzle. So too, if one Jew is missing, one Jew is fulfilling his potential, not fulfilling their his or her full potential of what they're supposed to do, um, then they too are going to uh, there's going to be a loss of the mitzvah of what needs to be what needs to be done. And therefore, everybody's everybody's fulfillment of their mitzvahs is equally as important as one to one another. As um, and therefore, we can make a mitzvah. For, we can make a bracha for one another we, when it comes to fulfilling the mitzvah. We can make a bracha for one another because we're all ne- we're all necessary, and all of our mitzvahs are necessary. And you're not, it's not just necessary for you, but it's necessary for me. I I can't I cannot fulfill my obligation unless I. Uh, or fully fulfill my obligations to Hashem, so to speak, unless I have done all, all the mitzvahs are being done by all the Jews at all times. So that's what gives us significant latitude 
in the halachos of making a mitzvah a bracha for one another when it comes to birkas hamitzvos. When it comes to birkas hanenin, birkas hanenin are brachos that we make for pleasure or enjoyment that we take out of this world. So I, when you're getting enjoyment, I'm not really getting enjoyment. So how do I make a bracha for your enjoyment? In other words, if I say, Baruch Hashem, Elkenem Elcholam, Bari Priya Gofen, my cup of wine, I drink my cup of wine, that makes sense. I'm thanking Hashem for the cup of wine that I'm drinking. Why does my making a bracha on a cup of wine help you? That now you can drink that cup of wine without saying anything. Imagine if um, one person says, please can I have, uh, please can please can I have a, a piece of cake? And then and then you, they they get their piece of cake, and somebody else, all, based on that, takes also takes a piece of cake. What what did you do to ask for your piece of cake that it, that we should allow you to do that? What's the mechanism that allows one person to make a bracha for somebody else? So birkas hanenin are brachas recited over food and drink. They're governed by a set of rules which reflect the voluntary nature of that activity. Um, why? Um, how that works, the, the mechanism by which that works, we'll see, we'll get into the idea of something called Shomea Ka'one, which we've discussed earlier. We talked about this idea, and we're going to talk about it at length and in, in detail in a moment. But that basically is when you listen to a bracha, there on some level, it's as though you have said the bracha yourself. Either, either it's a mechanism by which it's sufficient to hear a bracha, to make, to, for it to be considered as though you made the bracha, or it's actually considered as though you made a bracha. That's a very, um, it's a very hair-splitting difference. But it, what, what, give give me a moment uh, when we get to it, and I'll, we'll, when we go through it, how exactly you look at it, you'll see that there are what we call in the terminology of halacha nafkaminos differences in halacha. There, how you approach the rash, the understanding of this uh, will make a difference, and and will impact different brachas. We'll see in a moment. Um, when it comes to one third, a third type of bracha, which is called the birkos hatfila, meaning all, all of us have to pray, all of us have to say shemon esrei, etc. And now we, what we have is that one person can make brachos for somebody else, even when it comes to tfilos. Now, regardless of whether or not you understand tfila in its simplest sense, that it's the idea is that I'm making bakoshes, I'm making requests of Hashem, I have needs, and therefore I ask Hashem to do X, Y, and Z for me. So the question would be, so how does it help me if you made the bracha? How does that help my request? And even if you're going to tell me that the concept of tefillah, the way I've explained it to you several times before, is the idea that not so much that we're actually asking for that, that thing, but that the reality is that we're declaring our belief that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you are the only one that has the power to grant this, should this be the right thing for me? And I'm simply recognizing my connection to you or my fealty to you. And therefore, that's how I'm expressing it. Again, but how does somebody else making the bracha express my loyalty to Hashem. So we'll have to talk about that as well. So brachas of prayer, such as Shmoneser, are controlled by other guidelines. And although the halachas for the different types of brachas are not unitary, some common threads run through the subject matter. There are certain ideas that go through all of this. So in this upcoming chapter, we'll have to cover two major principles. The first is the general principle of Shomea Ka'one, which we, which we just mentioned briefly before, and we'll get into that in a little bit more deeply in just a moment. And the second, are, uh, the, the second which, which he's, he doesn't actually mention here, but he, but he, he means that this in the context of Shomea Ka'one is, of course, answering Amen to your bracha, meaning, as we spoke about in the last chapter over the last two weeks, the concept of answering Amen is 
to declare that I too am ratifying, so to speak, your statement, whatever it was when you made the bracha, so that when I answer Amen, I'm saying, uh, it's as though I'm saying me too, I also agree with that statement, with the previous the previously said statement, that's the second element of making these brachos and of, of how, how it works, and then of course there's the idea of what we call hefset, the rules of hefset, the rules of interruptions. When I make a bracha, there has to, it has to be immediately attached to whatever action I am taking after that, that I want that bracha to be connected to. If I interrupt in the middle, that's a problem. How does that work when I, when somebody, when person A makes the bracha, the motzi, the mover, makes the bracha, how does that, how's that affect, how does, how does the, the concept of, of hefsek affect the person who is being yotze, the one who is being moved by that bracha? We'll have to discuss that in a little bit more in detail. Now, this third, the, obviously, one of the principles behind this, as we mentioned, is arvus, which is joint responsibility, which in the, uh, the prerequisite for being motzi another in brachos is that since I am responsible for you, therefore I can also move you forward in the making of your bracha. Then, then there are berkasanenin um, and being motzi other in berkasatvila. We'll get to those two things in a moment. Okay, let's let's try to go through this a little bit. You'll see here. There's an important footnote and which is a little bit complex but we'll try to let's we'll go through it and we'll see what we can do so the general principle of shamayaka ona is as follows the ability to be motzi another with a bracha the ability for one person to move another person forward in their obligation to have made a bracha even though they're not saying anything i'm saying it for them right is based upon the principle of the basic underlying principle is shamayaka ona which literally means if somebody hears something it's as though they actually said it the broader principle governs not only the laws of the brachos, but other obligations that require recitation of scriptural texts as well. Like, for instance, Kriya Torah. How do, how do I fulfill or the reading of the Megillah? There's an obligation for each person, uh, man, woman, man, men and women, to read the Megillah both at night and during the day. Right? So um, how, how does that happen? Well, technically, I could open up Megillah and read it myself. But usually what most of us do is we go to Shul and so we listen to somebody else reading for us. All right, how does that work? That also works with this principle of Shamea Ka'one. Now, let's just take a look at footnote one. I, I know it's, it looks intimidating, but, um, but uh, I'll tell you a little trick that I learned from my, from my Rebbe, uh, Tzvi Berkowitz. Um, the, the, the people here are not necessarily so familiar, but the Rambam has a, the Rambam, Maimonides has a halacha sefer called Mishnah Torah. In the Ram's Mishnah Torah, it's structured the way it looks on the page is a little bit like the page of a Gemara. There's like a bold print in the middle, which is the Rambam statements. And the Rambam's are pretty short and pretty concise, very precise of what he says. There's a commentary on the inside of the page, a commentary on the outside of the page, generally very short, concise comments on what he says. On the bottom, underneath the Rambam, are footnotes from, from different scholars that wrote in different times. Some of those scholars wrote at great length. When I say great length, I'm talking like tiny little prints, two, three, four columns, two, and they can and they can actually go for pages and pages talking about one little comment to the Rambam. What I learned from my Rebbe was when you see something big and long, sometimes it's very intimidating to look at it. You know, it's just like a, like a novel, like you look at it, it's a big thick book. How am I ever going to get through it? The only way to do it, you, you got to wade right into it and you just go and don't worry about it. You don't worry about the length of it. Don't worry. All you got to worry about is getting from one line to the next. That's it. That's what it is. Take a look at a long footnote like this at the bottom of the page. Sometimes it may look a little intimidating. 
You just got to wade right into it. You'll see that the, the subject matter is interesting. It'll just draw you right along. So this idea that we're talking about, again, Shamea Kona, how, how does that work? So the Talmud in, in Sukkah uh, brings up this topic at great length um, and subject to discussion there and throughout all the halachic literature. But one of the most intriguing questions raised is the very nature of Shamea Kona itself. Now, what, I'm, what we're about to embark on is what's called, in the language of the Talmud, this is called a chakira. Chakira means, chakira means when I take one concept and I look at it from two different sides. I can look at it and I follow the ramifications of each side of that principle as they bear themselves out. In other words, there's two ways to understand Shomea Kaona. There are two mechanisms by which I can describe and if I follow one path that leads me all the way down the garden path in one direction, and if I go go another one, the two will go on the opposite directions, and not, they're, they're not always going to have, they're not always going to, you're not always going to end up with the same results. You're going to end up saying that there are going to be differences in halacha based upon how that plays itself out. So here it goes. Listen to this hakira. This is the hakira means a divided way of looking to be choker means to like um, to analyze something and differentiate. This is what we call the brisker mahalach. So ladies, if anybody asks you last, what did you learn in the bracha share? You learned a brisker mahalach in how to understand. You learned like they do in brisk, how to understand shomea ka'one. So it says like this. The idea is as follows. Um, so uh, does shomea ka'one mean that listening to words is technically the equivalent of reciting those words oneself? One way of looking at it. In other words, the words literally mean shomea. If I listen, ka'ona, it's as though I said the words myself. So when I listen to somebody else making a bracha, it's as though I actually said the words. That's one way of looking at it. Or is shomea ka'ona merely a means by which one person may be yotze his obligation by listening to another? In other words, shomea ka'ona is not describing anything about you, the listener. It's describing the, the, the principle. Is It's describing... What's happening when one person makes another a bracha for somebody else? When one person made a bracha for somebody else, we look at it as though the second person said the bracha, not as though he mouthed the words, meaning, but it has the same result as a person listening has the same result as, as if I said it. So again, here's the two way. Listen carefully. Listen carefully to what the two things we're saying. One is to say, when I listen to what you say, it's as though I actually said it myself. There's no mechanism here. There's no magic. Simply, uh, you said it. It's as though I said it. That's the way the halacha looks at it. As though I, by listening, it's as though I actually spoke the words. The alternative way to look at it is, no, of course I didn't say the words. I'm sitting here silently. We know I'm, I'm biting my tongue. How could I have said the words? But it has the same. It has the same outcome as when I listen to something. It has the same outcome. It's as, as though I said it. That okay. One is as though I actually mouthed the words. The other is that I have the same outcome of saying the words, but I don't actually have to say the words. What's the difference? Here we go. Listen carefully. So the differences between these two approaches may seem minimal at first, but the disparity is far-reaching indeed. For example, somebody who's in the middle of saying Shmona Esrei, you're in the middle of the silent Amido, right? You were davening with lots of Kavana, I hope, or maybe, unfortunately, you came in a little late, right? And you got a late start over everybody else. So when they started the Chazar Sashat's, you were in the middle of Shon Esrei. 
Now they got up to that part of Shmonesra of Chazar Sashat that's called Kedusha, when everybody answers responsibly in the middle of the Shmonesra. Now the halacha is that when you get to that part of, 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 of davening, you're supposed to stand silently. You're supposed to stop your davening, wherever you're up to. You're supposed to stop and just listen to what they're saying. You can't say the words. You're not allowed to say anything because you're in the middle of Shimon Esrei. Now you're listening to what's being said by everybody else. Here's the question. If you say that Shomea Ka'una is a mechanism by which, that if I listen to what you're saying, it's as though, it's as though I said it myself, meaning it has the same effect as saying it myself, then even though I'm in the middle of Shimon Esrei, I could actually also fulfill my obligation for saying Kedusha by simply listening to your saying of Kedusha. But if listening to the Kedusha, listening to something is as though I actually said the words, then I'm in the middle of my Shimon Esrei listening to something else. And that's like I'm saying those words. I'm interrupting my own Shimon Esrei. I would actually have to have in mind that I don't want to fulfill my obligation to say Kedusha now, because if I am fulfilling my obligation to say Kedusha, then I'm interrupting my own Shemar Esrei. Bad. Can't do that. So you hear the difference. If Shemar Ka'ona is simply a mechanism by which listening is the equivalent to speaking, then I can do that, even if I'm in the middle of Shemar Esrei. But if Shemar Ka'ona is not a halachic mechanism, but rather it's actually a practical reality that when you listen, the halacha looks at it as though you actually said the words. I can't say the words when I'm in the middle of my Shemar Esrei. I'm not allowed to do that. That's one. That would be one difference. So um, one in the, if, for example, one is in the midst of reciting Shemar Esrei while the Chazan recites Kedusha or, or, or Yehesh Rabba. So you obviously can't interrupt your Shemar Esrei to answer Right, but should you listen to that recital and be yotze uh, by means of shemayakona, or perhaps if we consider him as having recited the kedusha by merit shemayakona, then that would constitute an interruption. That this question is the subject of a dispute between Rashi, the major medieval commentator on the Gemara, and Tosos, his grandchildren, the 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 school of thought there, and it may be dependent on these two approaches that we set forth above. Okay. Um, uh, okay, so there, there are there are other differences um, that could be we, that we could talk about. Skip down a couple lines. It says, consider another example. The Birke Yosef raises the following question, right? One who ate cake and must recite a me'en shalosh. Let's say I ate a piece of cake. When you eat a piece of cake, after you finishing that beginning piece of cake, you're supposed to say alamichya. That's called that that bracha of alamichya is called me'en shalosh. It's like an abbreviated benching, right? The, the alamichya is an abbreviated benching. If I ate cake, I only have to say alamichya v'alakalkala, right? If I ate cake and I drank wine, then you add more to it. You say alamichya I say a bracha that includes the drinking of wine as well. Now, let's say you come to Kiddush. This happens almost every week. You come to Kiddush, right? And or should we should we we really should do this more this way because unfortunately I think people tend to forget we try to get around this by putting the the benching cards out on the on the table of the kiddush but what happens at the kiddush I make kiddush for everybody and I drink a cup of wine after I drink a cup of wine I eat a few crackers in order to be yotzei kiddush b'makom suda so I have to make a brayim nemezonos and I, and I now had had mine but everybody else most people in the room for the vast majority of people in the room do not drink any wine they just eat cake. 
and they're Yotze, which is fine. That's a, again, well, that will have to be a discussion for later, exactly how you're Yotze, but everybody's Yotze with my making Kiddush and my drinking wine. They don't have to drink any wine. They eat cake and every L'chaim song. Very good. Okay, time to go home. Now what do you do? Got a bench. Oh, but well, Rabbi Shochet is making Alamechia. Shh, everybody be quiet while Rabbi Shochet makes Alamechia. But when Rabbi Shochet makes that Alamechia, he's not only making Alamechia, he's making Alamechia about Priyagafen. He's making a bracha achrona. He's saying the after bracha, not only for the, for the crackers that he ate, but for the wine that he drank as well. But you don't need to make the bracha for the wine. So here's the question. If you say that Shomea Ka'ona is as though I am actually saying the words that you are saying, so then when I say Allah Gefen Val Priha Gefen, those are words that you don't need in your benching. Those are actually an interruption to the benching that you're making. If the, it's just a mechanism by which you fulfill your obligation, so now my saying it is as though you said it, meaning it's, it's not, as, well, not without having actually had to mouth the words, but simply hearing it is equivalent of your say, is the equivalent of your saying it, but I didn't say the right bracha for you. I said the wrong bracha. If it's as though you have to say the words, so then you'll think along with me as you'll concentrate along as I say, and when I mention anything about grapes, you'll have in mind that you're not, that you're not making a bracha on grapes, assuming that could work. Assuming that my interrupting my bracha, what, what, what for you would be interruption in the bracha is not an interruption. We'll talk about that in a moment, but then, then you could do it. But if my saying it transfers over to you, so to speak, it's not the right bracha. And technically you shouldn't be able to be yotze with that. You should not be able to fulfill your obligation. So that will become problematic. So we're, we're, um, um, that's, that's two possible differences as how you look at Shomea Ka'ona that could come up a little bit, com- a little bit complex, but a, a little bit mind-challenging, mind hopefully not too much for this late at night. Okay, let's continue. In general, subject to exceptions to be set forth in the ensuing section, which is, there, there's your classical halachic statement. Here's the rule. It's got lots of exceptions. Okay, but, but when two people are present, one person may choose to be motzi, to move the other person forward with his bracha, or each may recite the bracha on his own. When you have two people, there is, you have the option, either I make the bracha for you, or you make a bracha for yourself. Now, the halacha is, that, that technically speaking, you should really try to make the bracha for yourself. Now, again, this is subject to this our same discussion. There is an idea called that somebody could do something on your behalf. Somebody could be motzi you. They could they could do the action, and you fulfill your obligation by their doing that action for you. However, there is an idea that rather than have somebody. There's the concept, I'm going to introduce another concept here just for a moment, that says, the Gemara says, mitzvah bo yoser mi bishlucho. The words literally mean mitzvah bo, there's an obligation, the mitzvah, it's a greater mitzvah for you to do it yourself, yoser more so than bishlucho, having somebody else do it on your behalf. Even though the mitzvah is equally, so to speak, as fulfilled, whether regardless of whether I do it, do it or I have somebody do it on my behalf, there's a preference that it be done on that I do it on my own. So when you have two people and we both have to make shahakol niya bidvarai, or we both have to make a whatever bracha it is, bareipriya eights, although one person could make bareipriya eights and the other person could simply listen to him and say amen or hear and say amen and be yotzi the bracha, it's preferable that each one make their own bracha. 
there is one exception to that. The exception is as follows. However, when three or more people are present, it is preferable that one person be motzi to others. In that situation, you have another factor that comes to play, and that is called berov am hadras melech. If we want to give honor to the king, if we want to give honor, so to speak, to the Rebbe Shalom, the more people involved in that process together, the greater the honor there is for him. So with two people, it's one and one. So to, therefore, there's no, there's not, you're not really adding very much. But the minute you have three people, and certainly if you have ten people, now already you're you're getting to a point where you can give great, show greater honor to Hashem. This is the the idea behind why. Uh, if you have an opportunity to dominate in a big shul or in a little shul, it's preferable to dominate in a big shul. If you have an opportunity to have uh, a, a small, a smaller group or a larger group, always go for the larger group whenever it comes to a mitzvah, because we have a principle called berov am hadras melech. With the more people present, the more people involved, the greater honor there is to Hashem. The greater honor there is to the Rebbeinu Shalom. There's greater glorification to the Rebbeinu Shalom. So in the, that, that idea prevails with regard to brachos as well. And if you have more than one, more than multiple people, the one to be Yodze with one bracha, they want to be fulfill their obligation to say the bracha, then you should, if you have more than, more than, more than two people, then it's better to do it all of you together. Okay, now, when you let's talk about making the bracha and what it takes to be yotze. The language in which the bracha is recited is important, right? The mavarech may be motzi the listener. The person who's moving the other person forward could do so for that person, even if the mavarech and the shemer do not understand Hebrew. You can you can make a bracha for another person, even in a language that even in lashon. When you make the bracha in Hebrew in lashon hakodesh. You can do so even if you do not understand the bracha, and even if the person listening to you does not understand exactly what that bracha means. So the bracha, the small brachas, Birkas Anenin, are pretty easy. But, you know, there are some complicated brachas. Like, for instance, the bracha after the Megillah. The bracha after the Megillah goes, Haravis Rivenu, Vadanas Yineinu, Vadanokim Esneinu, Vadanokim etc., etc. It goes on talking about all the great things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did, that he fought our battles for us, and he took revenge for us, etc. Let's say you're making that bracha for other people, and you do not know what that bracha means. If you're saying it in Lashon HaKodesh, if you're saying it in Hebrew, if you, if, despite the fact that you do not understand what you're saying, and the person who's listening to you doesn't understand what you're saying, you still fulfill your obligation. That is only in Lashon HaKodesh. It's only in Hebrew. If I say it in Latin, right, which some people think is a great language, I'm not sure why, right, or French or Spanish, right, and I don't speak Latin, French, or Spanish, unfortunately for me, right, then I can't be mozi, even if the other person does understand those languages, if I don't understand their language, or alternatively, if I do understand their language, if I say it in, in Afrikaans or Ivrit or Yiddish, and the person listening to me doesn't speak any of those languages, also no good. Okay, so if you're going to say it in an alternative language, then both of you need to be able to understand that language. If you're speaking to somebody who barely speaks English and you're reading the art scroll translation in English to them, or worse, you're reading one of the old school translations, you know, like one of those uh, um, old school German translation, German, German translated into English translations uh, that you barely understand. Even if you speak English, you barely understand what they're saying. Even more so if you're speaking, if you're not, if your English is not your first language, you're certainly not going to know what they're saying. That's no good. Okay, so, 
So one may be motzi, another in any language, if both the one reciting the bracha and the one being yotze with the bracha understand the language which the bracha is being said. But if not, then it's no good. Now, the second point is, if you're being yotze, because if you are being fulfilling your obligation by listening to the bracha by somebody else, as I said, then let's underline that word listening. You have to listen very carefully and hear every single word or alternatively, fill in any words that you missed. So it is imperative that one seeking to be yote with another's bracha hear the entire bracha from beginning to end. One who hears only part of the bracha, even if he responds with amen at its conclusion, even if he says, you know what bracha is making and you know what he's saying, but you didn't actually hear the words and you answer amen to say, oh, but I agree with that statement. I'm, I'm putting put place in it. Th- that doesn't help. You have not fulfilled your obligation. So where this would become most relevant would be, let's say some you're, you're listening to Kiddush from somebody who, A, maybe has a hard time reading Hebrew, so then you, you lose patience, so you, you, don't, you can't listen to them. Or maybe they have some sort of a speech impediment, so they slur their words, so you can't hear the words clearly. So now what am I to do? I'm with somebody who struggles over Hebrew. They have a hard time reading Hebrew words. And I am, I'm, am an, a guest in their house, so they're making Kiddush. And I want to hear them say Kiddush. What should I do? I can't hear every word that they're saying, even if I would want to. Either they're breaking their teeth over the words or they're slurring the words or whatever whatever the, the reason is. So one who is a guest at the table of another who recites the Hamotzi very quickly or slurs or swallows the words should intend, the ideal, one, one solution is to intend not to be Yotze with the host's bracha, and recite the bracha silently to himself. You could either quietly say the bracha to yourself. Again, be very careful. You people can be very sensitive here, and it could be very insulting. You have to you have to be you have to know when it's possible. I, I would say this is is that there is there is a very common custom in many places where people make their own kiddush. They say their own kiddush, and sometimes the host will even offer you to make your own kiddush if you know that this person is a person who struggles and is not able to can't can't say the words clearly themselves or you know that they have some sort of a speech impediment, et cetera, and you're not going to be able to hear the words clearly, or maybe they just say the words too fast. Maybe they just speak too quickly, and you don't hear the words clearly. In that case, you should just you should ma- ma- find a way to make your own bracha. Um, um, one who is confronted with this problem during Kiddush should gaze at the cup of wine in the host's hand and recite the Kiddush silently to himself. That's another possibility that's not so simple that that works but uh, but that's it. in the opinion of some postkin when one may choose to recite silently only those words one fails to hear it could be that you only have to make up the what's what's missing again that's much more difficult to understand and be with the remainder of the host's kiddush be with whatever else the host is saying now that only works remember going back to our two ways of looking at things that will fall into, into that category if shamaka owner works if the mechanism works that when you say the words, it's as though I said the words. So if I fill in any words that I'm missing, so then, then, then I said all the words. But if it works as, a, as not as, a, as, a, as though I said the words, but it's simply a device by which if you hear somebody else's thing, the, the halacha looks at it as though you said it already, but not that you actually verbalize the words, filling in a word here and there doesn't help because you're combining two different things. You're combining listening with saying. If when I listen to your, your bracha, it's as though I'm saying the words, and then I fill in words, so I'm saying these words, and I'm saying these words. What difference does it make? I'm, I'm saying the whole thing. 
But if the it's not a device, it's not as though I actually said the words. It's simply a halachic device that listening is as good hearing, excuse me, hearing is as listening is as good as saying, then I can't listen and say. I can't do two, I can't do it two ways. I either have to be yote with listening or I have to be listening with do yote with saying. Um that's uh that's uh, that, that that's one of the the uh, um um okay now a bracha recited over the telephone this next this next idea is a little bit more complicated but let's let's just go let's see this one this one's not as uh, not necessarily everybody agrees with this um since one must hear the bracha in order to be yotze one should not one should not fulfill his obligation by listening to a bracha broadcast on a radio a telephone or even even a microphone even to listen on a microphone is problematic now it would seem to me, I'm just going to point this out to everybody, it would seem to me that we do not pass in this way. Or at least in some places, a lot of places, it's not that way. Because when you go to any chasana, right, and the Rav gets up there to make, to be Masada Kiddushin, they put a microphone in his hands, and he says the bracha on the, on the Kiddushin, right, through the microphone. The chasana and kala, even if they're standing right next to him, they're generally speaking, they're going to hear that through the microphone. They're not hearing from the person himself directly, unless they listen very carefully. I have been at Hasnas where the Masada Kiddushin will push the microphone away and say the bracha directly to the Hasan and Kawa. Now you're thinking, oh, but what about everybody else in the room? The answer is everybody else in the room is irrelevant. When you come to the Hasna, the only people that are important, Hasan, Kawa, Tuadim, and the Rav that's being Masada Kiddushin, they're the only people that have to hear what's going on under the Chopa. Everybody else, they're just spectators. So whether they know what's going on, they don't know where to go. I guess it's, you know, I have so many guests there. It's polite that they should be able to hear it. But technically speaking, they're spectators. And in fact, if the Masada Kedushin is doing his job correctly, he will des- he will sp- tell the Enim, he'll tell the Chassan and Kala to designate those Enim as the only people who are significant to the proceedings. The reason for that being is, we have a principle when it comes to Edus, we have a principle when it comes to bearing testimony that if part of the group of Adam are not kosher Adam, are not kosher for Edus, right, then it disqualifies the entire group. So if you're, if that would mean like this, if two Adam are standing there watching the Chassan and Kala, two witnesses are standing there watching the Chassan and Kala get married, they're the ones that, that are designated, but you didn't designate them specifically and your brother, father, uncle, they're sitting there in the audience and they're also watching what's going on. They technically are also Adim. And now you have Adim who are puzzle, Adim who are disqualified as Adim, and Adim who are qualified as Adim together. That makes everybody disqualified. Now you don't have Adis on your Chopan Kiddushin. A good Masada Kiddushin will either A, what the Yekas do, they turn their backs to everybody and they put a talus up so you can't really see what's going on at all, or or, or alternatively, the, the Masada Kedushin will screen what's going on with his body so that nobody can see what's going on. Or he'll tell the Chassan and Kala, do you designate only these two people as Adim and everybody else in the room is not an aid? And that way you don't, do, you don't have this, this problem. But that's, that was a sort of a... Uh, uh, so that's this idea of using a microphone. Can you be Yotze with a microphone? So he seems to... He seems... Rebbe... 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 Rebbe um, Force seems to feel that it's push it, that it's that it's clear that if you don't hear the actual voice, then you are that's not called the hearing from the Mavarech, and you're not Yotze. 
and may not be considered hearing the bracha. That ruling, as he says himself, is not conclusive. Not everybody agrees with that. There are there are there are Adam that there are people that hold that you could be Yotze even if you hear it either through the radio or a microphone or a telephone, and you should could be Yotze with. Therefore, a woman living alone or someone in the hospital unable to recite their own Havdalah should listen to Havdalah recited over the phone as a last best alternative. They should hear it. Well, it's basically saying that they should hear it in that way. Um, over the telephone, even even though it's over the telephone. You could still, you could still. There is enough to be samachon. There's enough to rely on to to say that you would be yotze. You would fulfill your obligation, and they would be motzi you by doing so over a telephone or over a microphone. Okay, we'll hold over here. Mitzvah Shem. Next week we'll continue. We'll talk about answering amen, and which is the second half of what it takes in order to uh, fulfill your obligation, and not to say baruchu baruch shemo, which we'll talk about. Um, which which is actually an issue that we come that comes up like with saying the Haftarah and things like that. We'll talk about that um next week. Okay, thank you very much everybody. Have a wonderful evening. Bye-bye.